This morning we're in the book of Psalms. We're in the book of Psalms. We're going to be in the 119th Psalm. We're going to read one verse as our text verse this morning. That will serve as the basis for our thoughts we develop in the message today. Psalm 119. Specifically, we're going to be in verse 137. Psalm 119, verse 137. In Psalm 119, verse 137, the Bible reads, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. The title of the message this morning is, The Righteous God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We are thankful that we can be in your house on the first day of the week, Lord, I trust that we were looking forward to being here and that we were glad and thankful to be able to come into your house. And today we want to meet with you. We want to hear about you. We desire to be drawn closer to you, Lord. We desire to lead lives that are pleasing in your sight. And Lord, that requires us to know more of you and to be closer to you. I pray that you'd bless in our time today and that, Lord, our hearts and minds would be focused on you and your righteousness and lord that the message today would serve to draw us closer to you that perhaps if need be that we would be convicted and challenged and perhaps the need of comfort is what is appropriate today we pray that you'd have your will and way and you'd accomplish your own purpose it's in jesus's name we pray amen the righteous god man is indeed a pitiful being is he not Of man, the Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. Now certainly when we look at our world today, and we consider world affairs, we are led to the conclusion that the Bible is absolutely true and correct on this very point. In fact, when you look at the atrocities that Putin is perpetrating upon the Ukrainian people, Does it not reveal the depravity of man? And yet, in the midst of this wicked, evil world, man must be confronted with this truth. There is a righteous God. The righteous God. Now, Psalms 119 is a prolonged meditation upon the excellence of the Word of God. And of course, one of the major themes of Psalm 119 is that the uh, author of such an excellent and righteous word, must he himself be most excellent and righteous. The 119th Psalm focuses not only on a righteous word, but on the righteous God. And so today we are, I trust, led to meditate our thoughts on this topic, the righteous God. And in so doing, I would like for us to consider three particulars that would lead us to conclude that the God that we serve, He is the righteous God. I want us to consider these three particulars. First of all, (coughs) the definition of His righteousness. Secondly, the description of His righteousness. And then thirdly, to bring it home more closely and personal, the dispensing of His righteousness. So notice the first particular, 
the definition of His righteousness. What does it mean when we say and when the Bible says that God is righteous? Well, first of all, we consider it negatively and it's important for us to often do this because in order to show what something is, we have to also consider what it is not, lest we be confused. And so we consider it negatively as to what His righteousness is not. And we firstly point out that His righteousness is distinguished from His other attributes. Now we have in previous times and in previous occasions here at Tabernacle Baptist Church, we have studied the attributes of God. And when we've talked about the attributes of God, we very simply pointed out that the attributes of God are God's characteristics. It's who He is. It's what, it, it's what makes Him who He is. And so we talk about the definition of His righteousness and what it is not. It is distinguished from His other attributes. And we say, first of all, that His righteousness is not His holiness. Now we understand His holiness to be the preeminent attribute of God. His holiness describes God as being immaculate, impeccable in all that He is and all that He does. And we conclude from His holiness that He is beyond temptation to sin. God cannot sin. There is no possibility that God can sin. He is impeccable. He is holy. He is immaculate. His righteousness is not His holiness. Now, His righteousness flows from His holiness, and because He is holy, He is righteous, but it's not His holiness. Secondly, as we think about His righteousness distinguished from His other attributes, His righteousness is not His goodness. It is not His goodness. The goodness of God is very simply described in this way, He is exceedingly benevolent. He is exceedingly benevolent. He is good. And He's good to all. He makes His sun shine upon the just and the unjust. The wicked, lost farmer, his crops have the same sun shining upon them and the same rain descending upon them as the saved farmer who serves and glorifies God. So God is exceedingly benevolent. His his goodness includes His mercy, love, and grace. And yet, His goodness is not His righteousness. So when we think about the fact that His righteousness is not His goodness, it is not His holiness, we need to take a step further. We're talking about what His righteousness is not. His righteousness is not only distinguished from other attributes, but His righteousness is different than the sinner's righteousness. The sinner's righteousness is restored to Him and imputed unto Him through the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is necessary. Why? Because man is not righteous. Man has no righteousnesses of his own. Uh, The Bible says that all of His righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And so, God did not have any need of righteousness being restored unto Him. So what are we talking about then when we define His righteousness? We're talking about 
What now is God's righteousness? How do we define His righteousness? What does it mean when we say that God is the righteous God? Well, in our text, in Psalm 119, verse 137, the very first portion of that verse describes who God is. And notice in that verse, the Bible reads, Righteous art thou, O Lord. The word righteous there in the Hebrew literally means just, lawful, right, or correct. And so what we simply mean when we talk about the righteousness of God is that He Himself is just. He is lawful. He is right. He is correct. And because He is all of those things, Everything that he does is right. Do you know that in spite of what some people think, not everything that they do is right? Have you ever met somebody that thinks that everything that they do is right? You can't correct them on anything. They are right about everything. Well, I have news for them. There is none righteous. There is none that does everything right. There is none that is entirely good. Well, there is one, but He doesn't walk this earth. He is the righteous God. Because He is righteous, all that He does, including all of His judgments, are right. Now, the righteousness of God includes more that we perhaps don't think of. The righteousness of God includes His justice, and also His severity. We don't oftentimes think of God in this light. We think that, well, God is love. Well, God is love. But God is also righteous. And because He is righteous, God is a God of justice. God is a God of judgment. God is a God of severity. Do you know that the Bible speaks of the wrath of God? Now, when we think of our wrath, I would like for you for just a moment to think of the last time that you experienced wrath. Okay, because we all experience wrath. What was the occasion of your wrath? Was it a right occasion? There is a righteous wrath. There is a righteous anger. But you know, oftentimes we're not, we don't experience a righteous wrath or a righteous anger. You know, I'm watching the Final Four last night and, uh, you know, here these guys are, you know, 18, 19 years old. And, uh, you know, I came up from watching the game, and Darlene says, well, did your team win? And I said, no, they lost. They lost because they couldn't make a stinking free throw. You know, and, and, and I'm upset. Uh, I didn't play the game. I, I don't have a dog in this fight. You know, I'm just watching the game. You know, I'm over it. But, you know, you get upset about stupid things, right? God doesn't get upset about stupid things. In fact, God... God's wrath is a righteous wrath. He's not moved by passion like we oftentimes are moved by passion. God is not vindictive. God is a righteous God, a just God, a God of judgment. And that includes His severity and His wrath. And we'll talk more about that later. The old theologian and preacher A.A. A. Hodge wrote this in reference to the righteousness of God. He wrote, The absolute justice of God is the infinite moral perfection or universal righteousness of His own being. The perfection of righteousness 
is to choose the most righteously. Now, can you imagine if in our world today, everybody chose the most righteously? I mentioned the atrocities that Putin is inflicting upon the Ukrainian people. You know, if Putin chose righteously, none of that would be happening. If men and women chose righteously, we would not have the divorce rate that we have in our nation today. We would not have the crime rate that we have in our nation today. And yet there is none righteous but the righteous God. And so, having defined the righteousness of God, that He is right, He is lawful, He is correct, and because of that, all that He does in justice and judgment is right and correct, we now move on to the description of His righteousness. How is God described in the Bible? Well, first of all, we see the description of His righteousness as it is contained in in his character. We've already alluded to his character, the attributes of God, but we consider now more uh, more specifically and devote a little bit more time to this, the description of God's righteousness, the righteous God in his character, it is who he is. And we have said this before, your character is who you are. You do what you do because you are who you are. Your character is different than your conduct. Your conduct is what you do. Your character is who you are. You, your conduct, what you do, you do because of who, you're, who you are, your character. Now, in our text, the Bible says again, Righteous art thou, O Lord. The Lord is described in no other way in Scripture as being righteous. In Psalm 7 in verse number 9. In Psalm 7 and verse number 9, the Bible reads, O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just for the righteous God. The righteous God trieth the reins and the hearts. In Psalm 11 and verse number 7. In Psalm 11 and verse number 7, the Bible reads, For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. And so because God is righteous, He loves righteousness. He is described in every uh, description of Him in Scripture as alone the one who is righteous. And then in the book of Ezra, and by the way, I'm limiting the verses that we mentioned this morning because we could... We could spend all day going through these verses, but how about this description in Ezra chapter number 9 and verse number 15? In Ezra chapter number 9 and verse number 15, the Bible says, O Lord God of Israel, Thou art righteous. For we remain yet escaped as it is this day. Behold, we are before Thee in our trespasses, for we cannot stand before Thee because of this. Well, Ezra is saying that You're righteous, God, and we're not. And because of our unrighteousness, we're unable to stand before you because you alone are righteous. O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous. And so the Bible describes God as lawful, right, and correct. That's how he is described as to his character. It is literally who he is. But now let's think about his conduct. It is what he does. Not only does his righteousness describe who he is, his character, but his righteousness describes what he does, 
his conduct. I want you to I want you to go all the way back to the very first book of scripture, the book of Genesis, and I want you to remember two men by the name of Abram and Lot. And going all the way back to Genesis chapter number 12 and then into chapter number 13, we read about Abram, we read about Lot and how that God had 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 blessed Abram and Abram being the just man that he was, he had deferred to Lot to choose where Lot wanted to go and you know the story about where Lot chose based upon what he saw with his flesh and the place that he wound up and one day God came down in a uh, theophany a, a pre-incarnate appearance the Lord Jesus Christ comes down to this earth and he, uh, he, he, he spends some time there with Abram and Sarah and he reveals to Abram what he's going to do with Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain And if you remember the account, Abram, worried about his nephew Lot, begins to plead with the Lord that, Lord, if there's a certain amount of righteous people there, would you spare the cities? And if you remember Abram's plea and argument to God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to appeal to him to spare Lot and his family, it centered on God's righteousness. Listen to Genesis chapter number 18 and verse number 25. In Genesis chapter number 18 and verse number 25, the Bible reads, That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. And how about this? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Do you know that the righteous God always does right? There isn't anybody here on this earth that you can count on to 100% do that which is right. Those of us that are married and have been married for many years, you know that you have let your loved, loved beloved spouse down multiple times through the years. Not even perhaps because you wanted to, but because of the frailty of your own flesh, you did not do what is right. And yet, there is one that always does what is right. Do you understand how that as we build up in this message, this should be speaking to our hearts and our minds that, you know what, God is a God that can be counted on. He is a righteous God. He does what is right. I had a sentencing hearing last week, and uh, in this sentencing hearing, this was a it was a pretty uh, it's a pretty violent case. It's caught on video. This woman uh, literally runs over her her sister and her uh, niece. You see them go flying in the air and falling on the ground. It's caught on video. You see this woman speed up through a residential neighborhood and veer over and intentionally hit them. And this woman's 38 years old, had no criminal history. And I was sure that the judge was going to give her probation. And I prepared my argument, went in, did my best, thinking that the judge was going to give her probation. And you know what? The judge gave her prison time. And, and I was pleasantly surprised. And I told the judge, I said, man, I thought you were going to give her probation. And you know what? Judges here on this earth, I'm convinced that the vast majority of the time they want to do what is right. But you know, sometimes you look at their decisions and you go, man, I don't understand how that is construed as being right. And yet, there is a righteous judge who every verdict and every sentence is right. When we look at what God does, 
and we say, man, I don't understand this, you know what we conclude? Well, I might not understand it, but I know this, it's right. It's right. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Brother Spurgeon wrote this in reference to the righteous judge. He wrote, it is not only his office to defend it, but his nature to love it. He's talking about justice and righteousness. He would deny himself if he did not defend the just. It is essential to the very being of God that he should be just. Fear not, then, the end of all your trials, but be just and fear not. God approves, and if men oppose, what matters it? God is righteous. God is just. How about this in the New Testament? In Romans chapter number 9 and verse number 14, in Romans chapter number 9 and verse number 14, along the same lines of the thought that Spurgeon developed, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Paul, of course, in writing the book of Romans, oftentimes uses, uses an inductive uh, uh, approach. Instead of making statements, he, he uses questions, and then he answers those questions. And Paul says, is there unrighteousness with God? Of course not. God forbid. Everything that God does is right. You know, the old uh, book of Job talks about the fact that we can rely on a righteous judge and a righteous God always doing what is right, just, in judgment. In Job 34 and verse number 12. In Job 34 and verse number 12, the Bible reads, Yea, surely God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. He will not pervert judgment. Thomas Brooks, the old Puritan, writes, about God's judgments. He writes, God's judgments are always just. He never afflicts, but in faithfulness. His will is the rule of justice. And therefore a gracious soul dares not cavil nor question his proceeding. We're developing the thought that there is a righteous God. The righteous God. And all that He does is right. He does not pervert justice or judgment. He does not do that which is inappropriate or improper. You cannot buy God with indulgences. God does not put you in a purgatory waiting for you to buy yourself or somebody to pray you out of purgatory. God is a God of justice and judgment. The righteous God. Now let's think about this third particular this morning. Having considered the definition of His righteousness. The description of His righteousness. But now this third particular, the dispensing of His righteousness. Now, I want to say to you that the dispensing of His righteousness can lead to one of two conditions for you this morning. It can lead to a condition of comfort. And it can lead to a condition of comfort in this way. You know, I know the righteous God. I want to please the righteous God. And I want to take the righteous God's righteous commandments and live those in my life. And everything that I do, I want to please the righteous judge. Therefore, everything that the righteous judge does in my life, I know is right and proper and I can trust him. That's comforting. Or, <laughs> it can lead to a condition of condemnation. In the sense that, you know what, I have forsaken the righteous judge. And the righteous judge assures me that what I reap, I will sow. 
And so all of my efforts to, to form my life and go my own way and, 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 and tread my own path apart from the commandments of God are going to be met with failure because He is a righteous judge. He does not play favorites. Woe to the parent that plays favorites. Woe to the parent that says, you know what, I'm going to favor Jacob and not favor Esau. Woe to the parent that says, I'm going to show more affection and favor to Joseph than all my other children. I just want to ask you this, how did those situations work out? Woe to the parent that is partial to one child over another. God is not partial. God is a God of righteousness and judgment and justice and equity. And He has promised in His Word that what we sow, what? We're going to reap. We are going to reap. So this can be the dispensing of His righteousness can lead to a condition of comfort or a condition of fear, awe, and condemnation. Now I want you to think that about that this morning in that we consider in His dispensing of His righteousness the reach of His righteousness. The reach of His righteousness. Now it is true, first of all, that His righteousness includes His justice. And we are thankful for that, are we not? There's nobody here this morning that would raise your hand and say, you know what, I don't really care about justice. It doesn't matter to me whether we live in a society that is just. You would not say that. As a Christian, do you want to be discriminated against because you're a believer? Do, do you want to, let's take a recent situation, do you want to face being discharged from your job because you refuse to get a vaccination? Do you want to be discriminated against your job because you want to pray over your lunch? Do you want to be discriminated against because you hold certain beliefs that you believe the Bible teaches? You love people, but you hold these beliefs tr truly and dearly. Do you want to be discriminated against because of those things? You do not. You do not want somebody to come into your property and take your property and there, there be no lawful recourse for you. You want justice in society. Of course you do. We want justice. We want what is fair and equal. And you know what? We want what is fair and equal for everybody. We don't want the Baptist faith to be the state religion of the United States. We want you to be able to choose freely whether or not you serve and worship God or whether or not you don't. We want justice. We want things to be fair and equal. Well, you know what? God is a God of justice. He is fair and He is equal. He always renders justice. None can say, as Paul posed the question, is there unrighteousness with God? Is there unfairness with God? Is there inequity with God? Is there injustice with God? Of course not. He always does what is fair and equal. He always renders justice. Bildad the Shuite, one of the three miserable comforters that Job had the privilege of calling a friend said in, in Job chapter 8 and verse number 3 doth God pervert judgment or doth the Almighty pervert justice? Of course not. God does not pervert judgment. God does not pervert 
justice. So we're talking about the reach of His righteousness. He is a just God. He always does justice. Psalms 89 and verse number 14 reads, Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. God is a God of justice. When you think of justice here on this earth, God promises that He does that which is fair and equal. He always renders justice. That should encourage us. But you know what else? is involved with the reach of His righteousness as He dispenses righteousness? His severity. His severity. You know, we live in a society today where you can't be frank with people. You've got to sugarcoat everything. You can't be truthful because, you know, my goodness, if you want to talk about people being offended, just look at the fiasco that took place last Sunday night. You know, you offend me, I'm going to come up and slap you in the face in front of millions of people. People are so thin-skinned today. They're so offended at the very least little perceived slight. Preacher, you can't preach like that. You've offended me. You can't say that. I'm offended. You're, you're singling me out. And I've said it before. I People could not stand the preaching of the Ken Johnsons or the or the, or the uh, Forrest Keeners, or the uh, E.L. Bynums today. They couldn't stand it. They can't stand it. They, these men are gone. People can't stand that kind of preaching today. They want to be coddled and have their ears tickled. Well, you know what? Well, preacher, you're so hard. I wouldn't be offended, but it's such a harsh and angry message. You know what? God is a God of severity. God duly punishes sin and sinners. His his severity includes His wrath and His anger. I'm here to tell you today that the transgression of God's law is referred to as what? Sin. And God always deals with sin. He always has. And He always will. Samuel Slater, the English Puritan, wrote this. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of God's throne. Righteousness whereby He preserves, saves, and rewards the good. Judgment whereby He punishes, confounds, and destroys the wicked. These are the habitation of His throne, His tribunal, His seat of judicature. God is a God of severity. It includes His wrath. It includes His anger. We don't get away with things in front of God. We can deceive everybody here on this earth and God is not deceived. You know what? You can you can try to you can try to uh, tell me until you're blue in the face that the rising gas prices are Putin's fault. And inflation is Putin's fault. And you can blame everyone else in the world, but you know what? You're not fooling God. God is not deceived by these idiotic, stupid, gaslighting lies that people try to tell us. He's not. And so God has given His absolute rule for man. And where is that absolute rule for man found? It's the Holy Word of God. The Holy Scriptures. And there is a penalty for forsaking His Word. There's no doubt about it. Now His wrath is described 
as his displeasure and his indignation against sin, which is the transgression transgression of the law. In Isaiah chapter 3 and verse number 11, this warning is given. Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him. For the reward of his hands shall be given him. And you know what? We preached a message a few weeks ago entitled, A Rough Life. And the sinner has a rough life. Those that forsake the word of God and the commandments of God, it truly is a rough life. And so, we deal with the reach of his righteousness. It involves not only the positive injustice, but also his severity in judgment. Now, that leads us to conclude by drawing this thought. What ought to be the response of his creatures? We've spent, we've spent the majority of our time this morning talking about the righteous God. And what it is that he is right, what does it mean that he is righteous? He is right, just, lawful, and correct in everything that he does. He's given us a word. This holy Bible that is to guide our affairs in every, every aspect of our lives. He's a God of justice. He's a God of severity. Those are included in the reach of His righteousness. Now, because of that, what ought to be our response? Response not only of the saved, but of the lost. Well, how about this? First of all, to admit that the righteous Lord is right. To admit that the righteous Lord is right. Have you ever been involved in a discussion with somebody, and you, through the, through the course of the discussion, realize that you're wrong. Now, if you can if you say no, <laughs> that's evidence right there that there's a problem, okay? But we frequently in the office, you know, I'll have Martin Grant, you know, and sometimes Nicole and Carrie will come in and we'll be dealing with a certain case or a certain, you know, charge that one of the agencies has applied for. Man, I remember a couple weeks ago we had a criminal sexual assault. We spent 3 hours talking about this. Should we charge? What do we charge? And there have been occasions, in fact, that was one of those occasions where I started out one way and I was adamant and then pretty, pretty, uh, uh, you know, not soon, but later in the discussion, I come to the conclusion, I say, you know what, Grant Martin, I, you're right. I, I agree with you. I see where you're coming from. When's the last time you told somebody, you know what, you're right. I'm not right. You're right. Have you ever said that? That's indicative of the kind of person that you are if you've never been wrong. You know what? There's something to be said. And I'm going to talk to parents. All of us are parents. There's something to be said about being able to say, okay, I was wrong. I I was wrong. I was incorrect. I'm sorry about that. Forgive me. You were right. You know what our response to God's righteousness should be? To admit that the righteous Lord is right. And that means not to just say it. But hold on to your seats. That means that whatever he says in this word is right. See, you can't say that God is right and then take his word and say, well, well, God is right, but I don't agree with that. So I'm just not going to do that. You can't do that. In fact, in Psalm 119... A little bit earlier from our text here in 137, but if you look up at Psalm 119 and verse 128, look at what Psalm 119 verse 128 says. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be what? Right. And I hate every false way. That literally says, beloved, that all of God's word is right in everything. 
in everything. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. What should our response be? To admit that the righteous Lord is right. Secondly, to acknowledge our awful plight. He's right. And if He's right, and we're different from Him, then what does that mean? We're wrong. He's right and we're wrong. God is a righteous God. Now you might be here this morning and you might truly say, you know, I love God. And I, and I really do consult God in my decisions. I really do ask God what I should do. I really do want to follow God. And I ask God for strength uh, to be able to follow Him. Then you know what? You can take comfort this morning. That God is a righteous God. He's a God of justice. But if you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I know what God says and I just don't care. I'm not going to do what God says. You know, the preacher can preach till he's blue in the face about doing this and I'm not doing it because it's too hard for me. Well, then you ought to be concerned this morning. You, you ought to acknowledge your awful plight. That God is right and you are wrong. Thomas Manton, another Puritan, wrote this. He writes, Here is much to keep the children of God in all. The Lord is a righteous God, though they have found mercy and taken sanctuary in His grace. The Lord is impartial in His justice. God that did not spare the angels when they sinned, nor His Son when He was a sinner by imputation, will not spare you, though you are the dearly beloved of His soul. So those that forsake God and walking away inconsistent with the commandments of God, God is a God of justice. God is a God of severity. Now that, thirdly, we're talking about what our response should be. To admit the righteous Lord is right. To acknowledge our awful plight. To accept the Lord's remedy and cease our fight. Like, stop. Have you, have you ever been on the other side of a discussion that I just talked about where it's very clear that the other person is wrong? And they will not admit that they're wrong. And they continually, well, they, 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 you know, it's just stop. You're wrong. The earth is not flat. You can argue all you want. You are wrong. Stop it. Stop the fight. And you know, that's what the approach is that we need to have. Do you know that God is so righteous that even in the pardon of the, of the sins of His children, he did not overlook sin. That sin had to be paid for. Christ paid for that sin. In Romans 8 verse 32, Paul, again, using the inductive method, he says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He delivered up his own son. Why did he deliver up his own son? Because sin had to be paid for. It had to be atoned. So why not just accept the Lord's remedy? Accept that the Lord is right. Not just admit that He's right. Not just acknowledge our awful plight. But accept the Lord's remedy and stop the fight. The righteous God and the truth of a righteous God should move us. We should not be here this morning and just we're taking notes and I think you ought to be taking notes or somehow cataloging the, 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 the content so that you can recall it and feast upon it. But it, it should not just be for the, okay, so I know this about the righteousness of God. I know that about the righteousness of God. 
It should move us to say, man, God is a God of justice and judgment. And I want to please Him. I want to honor Him. Have you really got to the point in your life, and I mean this sincerely, have you really got to the point in your life where you can say, you know, I concern all, I, I, I esteem all things contained in the Word of God as right. These are right. And if they are right, and my life and my practice is contrary to this, then I am wrong. God's a righteous God. He's right, He's lawful, He's correct in everything. Well, this morning we considered three particulars that I believe lead us to conclude that our God is the righteous God. We looked at the definition of His righteousness. He's right, He's lawful, He's correct, He's just. The description of His righteousness in Psalms 137, the Bible says, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. He is right, and all that He does is right. And then lastly, we considered the dispensing of His righteousness. It affects us individually and personally here on this earth. I pray that this morning you know not only the righteous God, but that you have a desire to please the righteous God. Let's pray.